This episode of the Artsy Podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Artists, photographers, and designers of all kinds have used Squarespace to showcase their works, and you can do it too. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch your site and show your work to the world, use the offer code ARTSY to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's offer code ARTSY, A-R-T-S-Y. Hello and welcome to the Artsy Podcast. I'm Abigail Kane. Over the last few weeks, we've translated a few of our favorite art historical stories from this year into audio. And this is our final special episode. We'll be back to our regular format next week. And we're going to wrap up with a story about sculptor Camille Claudel, whose career was intertwined, for better or worse, with that icon of 20th century sculpture, Auguste Rodin. Here's the show. As a 19-year-old in Paris, Camille Claudel was already a promising student of the most famous sculptor of the day, Auguste Rodin. Before long, her own work would appear in two of the city's most well-regarded salons. By any measure, her young career was off to an auspicious start. When she died in 1943, however, Claudel's legacy was all but forgotten. The artist was buried in an anonymous public grave when her nephew attempted to move her body to the family tomb following the conclusion of World War II. He was informed that it would be impossible to find. For decades, Claudel's work was as lost to time as her final resting place. Then, in 1984, the Musée Rodin staged a runaway exhibition of her sculptures. Suddenly, the world couldn't get enough of the woman who had been both protégé and mistress to Rodin. She has since been the subject of multiple films, first in 1988 in the Academy Award-nominated Camille Claudel, then in 2013, and again in an upcoming Rodin biopic, as well as a 2012 play. These dramatizations of Claudel's life have often privileged her tragic romance with Rodin over her artistic talent. But this year, in France, a museum featuring the world's largest collection of Claudel's work opened its doors, putting the focus once again on her evocative sculptures. Claudel's artistic career began in the same place as the new museum, the small town of Nogent-sur-Seine, some 70 miles southeast of Paris. Neither of her parents were artists, and in fact, her mother would have preferred for her to marry and have children. But by the age of 12, she was already sculpting out of the local clay. Neighbor and noted sculptor Alfred Boucher identified Claudel's innate talent and took her on as a student. He would also go on to instruct Modigliani and Chagall. Boucher encouraged her and her family to move to Paris, where she enrolled in the only art school in the city available to women at the time. When Boucher won the Grand Prix des Salons and moved to Florence in 1881, he asked his friend Rodin to take over his teaching duties. Claudel and her friend, Jesse Lipscomb, were soon employed at Rodin's studio. The master sculptor soon recognized Claudel's skill, enlisting her to help in modeling the feet and hands for the burgers of Calais, and later the damned souls populating his monumental work, The Gates of Hell. He also found Claudel irresistible. The two soon became lovers, despite their 24-year age difference. 
and Rodin's ongoing relationship with his long-term partner, Rose Beret. Thus began a decade-long relationship, during which time Rodin's work became more sensual. The kiss, his monumental ode to passionate love, was sculpted during this period, as was the steamy eternal idol. Claudel was rapidly progressing as a sculptor herself, capturing fleeting moments of ardor. It's likely that the two even collaborated at times. Certain sculptures show the imprint of two sets of hands. Rodin's presence, as it would be for the rest of her life, was both a curse and a blessing. He used his art world stature to introduce journalists to Claudel's work. But these critics searched tirelessly for Rodin's style in her sculptures, looking for traces of the master rather than judging the work on its own merits. Claudel began to chafe against these constant comparisons. She wanted to prove that she was more than just a student of Rodin. And to make matters worse, on the personal side, Rodin also refused to leave Beret, even though he signed a contract Claudel had drawn up, promising he would do precisely that. Rodin has long been made out as the villain of the story, but that may be an unfair characterization. As one Claudel biographer put it, he met the woman of his life too late. He couldn't abandon Beret. She'd lived with him through poverty. She'd taken care of his sick father. And Claudel herself, strong-willed and stubborn, likely wouldn't have wanted to be viewed as Rodin's victim either. And eventually, it was all too much. Claudel left Rodin, terminating the physical part of their relationship around 1893 and finally cutting off all communication by 1898. She continued to make work furiously, but she struggled to get state commissions. Her sculptures, while lauded by critics, were too erotic for the mores of the time. In early 20th century Paris, sculpting meant one thing. Crafting the human figure from bronze or clay or stone, artists had to be able to do that well in order to get any sort of recognition. Simply gaining access to nude models was a battle for female artists at the time, and after that you were still expected to create a nude that was very modest something Claudel adamantly refused to do. Not only did she sculpt nudes, she sculpted nude couples that exuded desire. And for many people, this was unacceptable, one reason why she may not have gotten commissions. Claudel desperately wanted to translate her clay maquettes into marble. She adored the material and would sculpt and polish it herself. Rodin, on the other hand, preferred to leave that work to his assistants. But she couldn't afford the material on her own. And when she applied for government commissions to produce pieces in stone, as she did for her 1892 sculpture, The Waltz, her works were deemed too risque for state funding. Eventually, a lack of money and success brought Claudel to a breaking point. She became paranoid, obsessed with hiding her work from Rodin and an imagined group of followers, which she termed Rodin's gang. She destroyed much of her work, and only a fraction of it remains today. In 1913, she was forcibly removed from her home and taken to an asylum, which is where she remained for the last 30 years of her life. Doctors recommended that she leave after five, and visiting friends insisted that she shouldn't be locked away. But it was up to her family to make that decision, and Claudel's mother and brother didn't want to assume responsibility for her. Decades later, her brother Paul, an influential poet himself, would organize a posthumous show of her work at the Musée Rodin, 
It was a flop. Even in the 1950s, there wasn't a place for the strong-willed female sculptor in the pages of art history. That was our last special episode of the Artsy Podcast for the time being. As you know, we spent the last four weeks turning some of our favorite art historical stories from Artsy into podcasts. We'll be back to our regular format next week. While you're waiting, don't forget to send us an email with comments. We're at podcast at artsy.net. You can always rate and subscribe on Apple Podcasts if you haven't already. This podcast was produced by me, Abigail Kane. The theme music, as always, is by Broke for Free. We also used music by Jazar, Chris Zabriskie, and Kai Engel. See you next week. <laughs>